Hey everyone, welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams, so glad you're here this week for episode number 39. My guest is three-time New York Times best-selling author Tucker Max. Before we jump into the show, wanted to say I'm excited that I've published a podcast marketing tip sheet for any aspiring podcaster out there. It's in response to people emailing me questions all the time asking for how to start a show. So I have a free guidebook. It's a playbook that I wish I had for starting a podcast when I kicked off the show. Essentially, it's a guidebook for creating content, marketing your show, and booking guests to build an amazing podcast. Feel free to email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com, ryan at influencereconomy.com if you're interested. Also, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at ryanjwill is my username. And if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe. Would love to have you in the long haul as a sub and leave a comment. Would love to hear what you think. Finally, I'm heading down to Austin, Texas. Really excited to go back to South by Southwest. I'll be there for interactive and part of music. So if you're there, hit me up. Be hosting a meetup as well the Sunday of South by Southwest. I'll be returning down there for barbecue, for beers, and to hang out with listeners from the show. And without further ado, Tucker Max. Hey everyone, welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Here with Tucker Max. Tucker, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, excited to have you. You're a best-selling author multiple times. You've sold 3 million books. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, you currently have your own company you just launched called Book in a Box. Mm -hmm. And additionally, you uh, kind of help reinvent the modern world of professional publishing, at least in my opinion, just with yep. with how you launched TuckerMax.com and putting your content out there for free and then aggregating it into the book. And was that for uh, Assholes Finish First? Yeah, well, that was, a, see, that was a decade ago. People are like, oh, well, everyone does that. I did that in 2002 before the word blog even existed before Twitter or Facebook or before MySpace even, before Friendster even existed. This is pre-Friendster. What was the network before Friendster? <laughs> there was none. GeoCities. GeoCities. Like, <laughs> the, rec, right. the Rec League, the Rec websites. <laughs> right. They were, they were like, uh, that was back when like BBNs existed and stuff, right? What was the first blog you published that wasn't like a blogger blog spot? Like what did you first publish on the web? Uh, well, so that's what's funny. When I first put my writing up, Blogspot didn't exist. Blogger didn't exist. Their blogging software did not exist. I actually, I'm not kidding. I had to learn HTML to put my stuff up on a web page. And I was so bad at HTML that my pages were essentially just white with text, right? And I was really excited when I got my stuff indented so the words weren't exactly on the edge of the browser. And, it, and what, what makes me laugh is that I essentially, my look was almost exactly what Tumblr is today. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't design Why Tumblr, Why didn't you sell for a billion dollars to Yahoo? <laughs> because I can't program anything. It just looked like Tumblr. It had none of the back-end cool so stuff. So you were hacking your way through just like building your own applications. Yeah, right. Of course. This was 2002. And so it wasn't even an application, man. It was seriously, it was like, what was... Um, Linux? Microsoft Front Page, I think oh, I wow, used dude. or something. Right, which was like awful. Like I had to like cut all their code out and... And I think I just ended up using like a plain text HTML editor or whatever it was. I can't remember. And, uh, and that was my original site. Um, and they were just emails I wrote to my friends. Like they were just funny things I wrote to, to my friends to make them laugh. And then uh, like they got passed around an email and then I put them up on a website. And I had to like, you know, learn HTML and whatever. And it was the most ridiculous, embarrassing plain text website. And that was back when people thought websites have to ha had to have like dancing babies and stuff on. Remember the dancing baby? Yeah, uh, Alan McBeal. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and then I, like uh, from that point, like this producer at MTV found my site and they put me on this dating, this show about internet dating. That was back when everyone thought like internet dating was like, oh, you're going to meet people who are going to kill you. And now, of course, everyone, that's the only way they meet people is on the internet. And then that was um, pre swiping left, right, skipping over right, people on right, Tinder. Right, exactly. That was when when it was still a thing to have cell phones. Like, oh, he's yeah, got you, a cell phone. Yeah, you know, remember you'd get made fun of? Like, my friend had a cell phone, we totally ripped on him. Right. Like, I graduated this, college around 2000, and I went right. to school in the south at Vanderbilt. You know, super oh, conservative yep. school. And this one guy had a cell phone, just got ripped on. Because you're like, oh, you're, never, trying so, ever, you're, you're trying so hard. Right, you're a drug dealer, exactly, yeah. or a poser. Right, exactly. So you're, at this uh, point, there's. Like nothing online to help you pu publish. No, and people no, are still reading magazines. They're subscribing well, I, to the oh, Sunday Times. 
magazines are still a thing. Like the idea that you could write on the internet in 2002 was not like not a thing like at all. 90210 was a big show. You know, <laughs> yes. Maybe they had gone into like college I at that point. Just went off the air. Saved that by point. the Bell was the college years. Yeah, exactly. They were the college years, and um, uh, so like. I remember, like, uh, I, I sent all my stuff to magazines and book publishers, and of course, everyone was like, "Oh, this is terrible. You're the worst." Like, blah blah blah. So, uh, and so you were ultimately like, re- rejected, dude. People were just like, like "You're you're not not going to work." Rejected. So, so this is after six months or a year of my friends forwarding my emails around to all their friends, and this and these things blowing up. And, like, but, but where were you at in your life? Are you still in college? This or is right after law school. This okay. is right after law school, uh, and. and this is after I'm getting my emails forwarded to me from other social circles, being like, oh, did you read this? This is so funny. And I'm like, asshole, remember when emails used to have headers and forwards yeah. and stuff like that? Right. So I'm like, asshole, look at that. I'm the one who wrote it. Right? <laughs> at the very and bottom, so, there's all those lines and bars, and you can't tell right, who it's exactly. even from. You can't tell. But like, if, you look, AOL addresses. if you look good enough, you can tell. Yeah. And so, what was so your I email just, back then? Was it AOL? I think I actually had a Yahoo email. I think it was just Tucker Max at Yahoo. Now it's Tucker Max at Gmail. But um, I knew my stuff was good, or at least I knew it was popular, right? Yeah. I knew people liked it because if people are forwarding it, I mean, this is the original and virality. Who's the core group? Is it your buddies from college or people you grew up with? It was, no, it's my buddies from law school, actually. Uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, at Duke. Okay. Yeah. And so. Uh, uh, Did you try to walk for- on the basketball team ever with Coach K? No, I did play uh, at University of Chicago a little bit, but I did not play, which is like basically high school ball. It's terrible. It's Division three, but that does not make me good enough to play uh, uh, Duke. You can't even hold a jock, dude. I'm I'm six feet tall and white, and I have small hands. Yeah, you so. can't palm a ball. No, I, I barely. I can if I don't have to like move it around a lot. You know. So it's like Christian Leitner or Cherokee Parks fordering around. Your <laughs> no, no, house. they were gone. I was there, um, so I was there 98 to 01, which would have been, uh, let's see, like Battier was there, Um, uh, William Avery, Avery just left the year I got there, Elton Brand, that team. Oh, that's an epic era. Yeah, Yeah, they won in in 2000, 2001. 2001, I think they won. Uh, They won when I was there. That's a shame, Um, though, they didn't see these emails. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Battier was a douche then, just like he's a douche What if you saw Battier randomly and he's just like, oh, you're that guy who, I read your emails about hooking up. He, I, I played basketball in the spring league. Actually, I played against. Uh, so I was good enough to play in like the sort of the the spring league they have in Cameron, which is like good people. And then the Duke players would play in that. And uh, like Wojo was an assistant coach, and he's fucking terrible. And Battier, I mean Battier, of course, is awesome, but he's such a fucking douche. He's a douche yeah. even to like guys who are shitty like me. Oh, he, and he like, would like school, dude. school you, and hang on the rim. And- no, 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 no. Like no. He talk. wasn't like that. He would like, he would like, um, he was just dirty. Oh, like really? he wouldn't, he wouldn't hang on the. He wasn't Sean Kemp. He wouldn't like, <laughs> like, like dunk over Angolan dudes and then talk trash on them. Right? <laughs> he would, he would like. He wasn't uh, Sean Kemp. Right. He would like. Uh, he didn't have twenty kids. He'd like come up and like. Uh, what was one thing he did? Oh, okay. So like we're going for rebound and and like he just like kind of like the way he pushed me, not just pushes me, but trips me, right? And I get up, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? But it was really sneaky. It was like one of those things where like you wouldn't really see it or tell. And I was like, what the fuck? No one really saw it. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He's like, you know, play ball or whatever. And I'm like, like you're just a, like, now I know why everyone in college as well hates you yeah. because you suck. Um, yeah, he was, he wasn't like mean. He was just like. He was just dirty, and like, he just like took just it too far. Where it's like you, you should be mopping the floor well, with these guys, right? Turn it I mean, down to like a level below your your hardcore. It's like, well, no, it's just you're not like playing what Carolina. Have, what do you have to prove that yeah. you're better than me? Like he can go back. home to his girlfriend and say that he schooled you and tripped you <laughs> up. And hey, hey, honey, I beat this six foot tall <laughs> white law school kid you should today. See how God. small his hands are. Right, right, exactly. I'm way better than him. <laughs> I'm going to be somebody. Yeah, right. Look at me now. I play with the heat. Right, right. Exactly. He, he wasn't mean. He was just, he just, like, he just has a dirtiness to his play that was annoying. So people like Wojciechowski were like mean and dicks, but they so sucked. That the was Duke the crazy persona. part. He was be- barely better than me. And I'm like, you're like, no wonder you didn't play in the NBA. This you're totally awful. the Duke stereotypes are being fulfilled right now of why we Dude, hate they're stereotypes for a reason. Why we hate Duke. So, and you, so you've actually, yeah. you were stereotyped then, right? As a writer, look at that segue. I mean, that's amazing, right? It was pretty good. So, yeah. um, we're going to go back into like your writing days because you were rejected by publishers. 
Dude, I wasn't just rejected. I sent queries to somewhere between 500 and 1,000. Like, this is 2002, so it was all the mainstream publishers, and there were a lot more then. There were probably, you know, 80% more. Was Amazon all, even, were they selling? Yeah, Amazon existed. Were they selling just they were, books at that point, or had they yeah, branched they were, out? They were, they were, I think, about to branch out into other things, or they had just started okay. uh, when I was in law school. And then um, uh, every magazine, newspaper, whatever, I didn't just get zero. I, I, like, I didn't just get zero interest. Uh, I literally got, so I, I probably heard from maybe, whatever, a hundred of the, let's say, thousand I sent out, and they were all rejections, a hundred percent rejections, but there were like five or four maybe editors who took the time to write me personalized rejection letters about how terrible my writing was and how, like, I was a horrible person and I should, like, uh, jump off a cliff and I should never pick up a pen again, whatever, like, this nonsense stuff, Right. And and I, I remember laughing at the time because like I, I didn't define myself as a writer. I didn't think I was a writer at all. Uh, I just knew that my writing was very popular. So I was like, wow, these people have no idea what business they're in. You know, they don't realize they think they're in the business of arbitrating culture right. through books. They're when they're really in the business of selling books, but they don't realize that. And that was like I realized these people don't have any fucking idea how business works, which is you often see in entertainment businesses is that people don't understand the business at all. And so uh, I put myself up on a website and it blew up and then MTV and then this girl sued me and then all the publishers came like uh, to, to, to offer me book deals. I ended up taking one about a year later, and then that book was I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, which created a new literary genre and has sold uh, almost two million copies by itself. So did the media moments of getting sued then help like cast the publisher's eye that this guy knows what he's doing? And Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, the, the girl, the, girl it, the story's in, it's actually not in I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, the suing story. It's in my third book called Hilarity and Sues. This girl, she was Miss Vermont, and uh, we hooked up for like a month. And I wrote about what happened, and um, <laughs> all I did was tell the truth about what happened. But the, uh, for a lot of people, the truth is very painful. And uh, and her like platform, you know, when you're a pageant girl, you have to have a platform. And you're and just like platform, manicured, you know. You <laughs> well, her platform was abstinence and sobriety. Uh... And the first night we got met, we met. She got drunk and fucked me in the back of her Ford Explorer. And so I was like, well, whatever. And uh, I used her name only. I, I don't use anyone's real name in my stories because I live my. I choose to live my life in public, and other people don't. But she's a public figure, right? Uh, which makes everything different. So she got very upset, and uh, she sued, and I won, and uh, because I was telling the truth. What long, did she, long she sued for like defamation of character. No, that's uh, that's what's funny is she didn't because um, suing for defamation makes the facts of the story an issue. She tried to not make the facts of the story an issue because she knew she knew that they were true. It was really her mom orchestrating everything, like a typical pageant mom. But basically she didn't want her daughter to have to get up on the stand and talk about how she slept with a guy she met at the gym two hours earlier. So right? A twenty four hour fitness hookup <laughs> just doesn't work well with right. your image. Right, exactly. Which is almost exactly <laughs> what happened. And uh, and so the, it, like the, all the legal maneuvering, whatever it, it was it was like this long, dramatic, like incredible fucking story, uh, but long story short, I won the case um and uh and so that but that was like front page of New York Times like uh, oh, it wow. was a huge deal because it was the first time in the history of the internet any judge had ever issued a prior restraint ruling against anything on the internet, which was like prior restraint so there's no is, laws at that no point. you can't do that like except in like issues of like national security right like like, you can't publish, like, nuclear launch codes and shit, right? But other than that, the federal government, judges, whatever, can't stop you from publishing things. They can just punish you uh, or you suffer consequences afterwards. So the fact that a judge issued a prior restraint ruling was, like, off the charts news and it became this huge thing. And then that plus the MTV thing, which both happened, like, three months apart, my site became like the first example of writing on the internet that got really popular outside of any mainstream sort of media support. Your, your book was always funny because it was like in the bathroom of a lot of my friends. Right. Like you'd walk into like a party at some guy's house and sure enough, like right next to the toilet and the sink was this book, I Hope It's Your Beer in Hell. Yeah, it, I mean, it's they're short stories. They're easy to read when you're on the shitter and they're funny and it's like, okay. How long are the stories? 
I, it just depends. Like a thousand some words are, or some are a thousand words, some are ten thousand, and they're literally just the more or less the blog posts. I, they are the book. actually they are like that's what the 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 I hope this are beer and hell is about half new stuff, half stuff that's on the site, and then maybe about a ten percent of assholes finish first and hilarity ensues is on the site. Um, but all, probably my best stuff is on tuckermax.com. If you go look at that site. That's about a full book book's worth of material combined, and it's really mostly most of my best stuff. Um, but like you know, we've all learned these. This was very controversial but, in in the early. But 2000s. this is the model. Yeah, of course, Last, but I, no one was doing. I mean, this it. is it. Like I, I talked to Nir no Nir Ayal, uh, posted huh? the show two weeks ago, and his book hooked. That's how he published it. Yeah. It was two and no, a half years of blog entries, and a publisher actually reached out to him. It, and then he self-published it. Yeah, and, he did and an ebook, he, and then he did yeah, self-publishing. And it and, generated a ton of reviews yeah. and sales. And then the publisher picked it up, and he pulled it off. Right, it's very smart. I was the first person to do any of that. And so stuff. when you're going through it, like what is you're getting rejected, but you sticking true to the internet, you're posting content. What at that point did you think the end game would be? Did you envision a book deal, or did you think that you were just gonna have to go be a lawyer somewhere? No, I, I actually didn't take the bar, so I, I would force myself to not oh, be a okay. lawyer. Um, but look, I, I could sit here and craft a great ex post narrative that, that like isn't that what? Who yeah, cares what history is? You, history right. is what you tell right. people it is. Yeah. <laughs> look, I wish I could sit here and tell you I had all this planned out. I didn't. Um, the reality is, in most ways, I had a couple general principles, and I stuck to those. And then the rest was either luck or coincidence or chance or taking opportunity that I found in front of me. Um, but it's one of those things, man, where it's like it's funny. Like people, um, uh, the other day, uh, Mark Andreessen like uh, just re released his book, uh, his little ebook of, of of startup stuff that he wrote a few years ago. And this the is big, not his tweet storm. This is actually no, no, a no. book he wrote. It, it's the big thing about product, like his big article about product market fit. It, it was in there, and he he talks about how when um, when a market really wants something, it pulls it. It like the the demand really wants something. There's a lot of demand. It pulls it out of the market, and people were, like were so confused. They didn't understand what he meant. And I know exactly what he meant because this has happened to me twice. Like once with the writing, and then with Book in a Box is like. It's not like I was some genius that saw all this ahead of time. I was the right guy at the right time with the right market. And you know, how much do you there think was, your content had effect of that? Oh, content was a huge. Because you mean, had the, like what eighteen to twenty-four year old dudes that were ready well, to buy Well, I was book. the first. I was the first guy that ever sat down and honestly uh, wrote about drinking and hooking up in a way that was really funny and interesting to people who weren't there. Right, who don't know the actual guy. I'm definitely not the first person to do any of the things in my stories, and I bet I'm not the first person who could have written about this or had the ability or talent or whatever. Just the guy who did it when the internet existed. Yeah, I was the first guy to do it uh, because look, like I, this is a perfect example. Uh, I already explained to you. I literally got rejected by every publisher and magazine and publishing outlet that existed. So in 1984, right? That's it. Like, if I existed in '84, right. uh, there's nowhere else for me to go. In 1994, there's nowhere else for me to go. But in 2002, I just I just put it on the internet, right? So there's so probably that, so what, thousands of guys who could have been me. So it's amazing. Uh, we talk about narratives of people. So I've interviewed you know 40 people this past year, and they're all successful in do-it-yourself internet type ways. And there's two types of people. They're the ones that are so humble. That they're like, oh, it was 80% luck. It was 20% skill. And then the second type is people that just, they give so much that they, you don't even talk about them. They don't talk about themselves. Like they just right. talk about other people and they deflect, they deflect. So in this story, like how much of this skill do you think you had and how much of it really was timing? Um, I think I had a very little bit of skill. Uh, I think it was not skill. Uh, or talent or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think it was, uh, let's say, 70% timing and then 20% hard-ass fucking work and then 10%, maybe even less than 10%. Being generous to me, it's 10% skill or talent or whatever you want to call it, yeah. right? Um, the, the vast majority of it was timing and luck and opportunity. The right place, right person, right time. Uh, that's just it, man. And so when you and, wrote these emails to your buddies and they got passed around... And then finally, like you're now a published author. What, right. what is it like? I mean, because 
I imagine people were just saying, you're full of shit. You're telling these stories out of school, hooking up. Like, were you, did you feel vindicated or did you, at that point, you didn't care that you'd been rejected? And um, You know, it's weird. I, I, I went to undergrad for econ and then grad school, law school. So, like, I never. Would you at undergrad? Uh, University of Chicago. That's right. Uh, so, like, I never cared about like being a writer. I wasn't one of those people who strove to be accepted by the literary community. Are you now? No, dude. Like, man, it's so funny. Uh, one of the big critiques of my stuff is that it's not very well written. And it always makes me laugh because uh, I'm always like, well, that's funny because the person writing this is desperately trying to be a writer and can't sell their writing for shit. So if they are the judge of what's good and what's not, then why am I rich and they're not? You know, yeah. like I've always judged content um, for the most part by the uh, the demand that it generates. You know, and and like like uh, I'll give you another example. I think Fifty Shades of Grey is a terribly written book in almost every way. But guess what? There are 50 million women who disagree with me, okay? So, like, I can have that opinion. It's a valid opinion for myself, but clearly my opinion is not reflective of the market, right? So I've just never gotten into um, stupid value debates about quality of art because those are really only debates about status. Right. And they don't matter, Right. Like what matters is do other people care does about it, does what Does it resonate? Doing? Does it make so you emotion? Millions of people have paid hard-earned money to read what I've written. That makes me a fantastically successful writer, right? In the only way that really matters. And, you know, like there are a lot of writers who win a lot of awards who don't sell any books. Those people would they would eat glass to have my position, that's, you know? And it's like, all right, you know, like I don't I don't, I don't worry about what self-appointed people uh, or judges think about my stuff, especially the ones who, who are desperately envious to have my position. So it's like it, I used to work at a startup called Machinima. And, yeah, of course. I know Machinima. And one of the reasons why I'm writing this book about the influencer economy and the stories podcast is I watch these gamers go to E3, Comic-Con, these gaming trade shows like PAX, and they're rock stars. And they had like... Tw- 200,000 Twitter followers, but like 3 million YouTube subscribers. So they put a video up and it could get half a million views in 24, 48 hours. But these guys were rejected by Hollywood. They were rejected by mainstream. Gaming is not mainstream, right? But there's a hundred gazillion gamers out there. So what they did though was, like I studied all their Twitter links and their bitlies and they had more reach than like Ashton Kutcher, you know, or like like celebrities like Kim Kardashian has really shitty Twitter reach, but yeah. someone that has a hundred thousand followers, that's like a call of duty or Minecraft gamer has like 20% conversion of clicks and they're massive on YouTube, but they're rejected by the mainstream, but who cares? I mean, it doesn't matter for them anymore. Like their end game isn't TV or movies. They've already reached their critical end game, which is making money, sustaining an audience. And in the end, like you self-distributed in a way, which now mm-hmm. is the norm. Because yeah. you need a platform if you're going to sell anything that's entertainment-based to an audience. So I, that's It's funny. We can come back to your luck point here because I, I was actually very lucky that no publisher or magazine or whatever wanted to publish my stuff because then I would have gone into the system. Right. Because they rejected me, it forced me to figure out my own distribution strategy and own my own audience. And because of that... I became this uh, unintentional sort of trendsetter yeah. and pathbreaker, you know. But it was totally unintentional. Which is the model moving forward? Like I read today, like yep. Spike Lee is now releasing a movie on Vimeo exclusively, and, right. and he's suddenly has a groundbreaking thing that he's saying this is the future. And you're like, thanks, Spike. You're really <laughs> right. the purveyor yeah. of like content welcome, distribution. Welcome to 2005. Yeah, right? where have you ever? Good job. Yeah, like way to jump on um, board. And, and well, if he ever made movies that anyone, that's what's funny. No one watches his movies. No. Have you noticed this now? Now that like uh, the look, people don't really understand. Uh, I think this for for a hundred years, media was all forms of media, whatever TV, movies, newspapers, doesn't matter. All media was owned by a very small amount of people, and those people answer to, uh, there wasn't some big conspiracy, it was very simple economics. Those people answer to the people who buy tickets, right? right? And for most media, 
who cuts the checks. It's not the readers or the viewers, it's the advertisers. And so like CBS doesn't give a shit what you think. CBS cares what the head of, uh, of, of ad buying at Procter & Gamble thinks, right? right? So their decisions are made uh, by, by either advertisers or their social status from their groups that they hang out. So if they spend their time, they live on the Upper West Side and they go to right. cocktail parties at the Met and then those are the groups of people that they answer to and that's all they care about. They don't care about anything else. But now that the media world has totally disarticulated and that ownership is completely distributed, none of that shit matters. And now status is only achieved within certain audiences and groups that are very localized. And that is completely different than the way the entire world perceives media. Everyone's going to catch up and they're catching up. But um, it's just the future's already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Right. And you have to, it used to be global celebrity was the driver of culture. And now it's local celebrities in focused verticals. It's, it's niche celebrities, and, right. And the more focused, focused you go exactly. and the more segmented you are, the higher value you can get and the more you can charge. Uh -huh. And like at Machinima, it wasn't just the Call of Duty gamer that made how-to videos. It was the guy that knew the maps on Call of Duty better than everyone else. And he had higher CPMs. He actually had a more devout audience because they knew what they were coming for. Yep. And before publishing, you had to just like – ultimately, like your book got into stores – and now, like, do you think that's even important as a writer? No, not at all. Like, you know what's funny? Someone asked me this the other day. They said, if you were to start again today, like it was like a 22-year-old guy who wanted to follow in my path, which is really fucking what do you stupid. Call, I mean, what do you call your path? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's stupid because you can't be me. You've got to be yeah. a different – got to be – you got to say your own things and live your own life, right? And if you want to create art out of that, that's fine, but it's got to be yours and not mine. But um, but he's like, well, you know, like, oh, it's everything so saturated now, blah blah blah. It's so much harder now. I'm like, it's actually ten times easier. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if I was starting today, I would be a world. It took me um, many years to get big. 2002 to I really kind of hit my stride in 2009. It took me seven years. If I was doing it today, it might take me a year or less because I would I would I wouldn't write one fucking word. I would start probably with on Snapchat and then record YouTube videos right. of like me and my friends sitting around and I would tell the stories and they could break my balls or whatever and I would edit those and and I would have like like a like a probably like a Twitter, Snapchat and and YouTube and I would be a massive worldwide star with a huge audience, very focused, very niche audience but huge in at no more than three years and I could monetize that immediately so much quicker and easier than I did with books and other stuff. Would you be a writer and at that point? Do you no. Why would I you waste just bypassed time? It. Dude, writing is a very distinct different skill and it's very hard to develop. Storytelling um, is also very hard, but much more natural and much more human and much more people respond to it, right? So, I mean, look, dude, the reality is I think I'm a way better artist than PewDiePie, right? But he has 36 PewDiePie. million subscribers yeah. and, and I don't. And it's not because necessarily of any inherent difference in us, let's just say. It's because he's on a distribution medium that is far easier and more natural for most people to consume than reading. Reading is hard, it takes time, it takes effort. Most people don't read at all. Everyone watches video. Right. Right? And so like if I was starting again, that's how I would start actually. And so someone like PewDiePie, like you're seeing a lot of YouTubers going from the medium and they're writing books and they're blowing up their platforms elsewhere, which I think is super smart. Like Grace Helbig, you know, she's writing, she was a New York Times number one bestseller. Mm -hmm. Because she had her YouTube audience, but how that's really not too dissimilar from what you did. Yeah, it's there's certain people who it makes sense to have books. Most of them it doesn't. Like uh, Bethany Moda probably won't have a book. She might if she wants. Um, but like, but Michelle Fan has a book. I mean, right? Okay, so you, a lot of them are doing uh, sort of those things because they are status in the, there's books are still status. But it's in a, the, like you've said before, it's a call, it's a calling card. Right. Exactly. So for them. The only reason they're not doing books to make money, um, because money-wise, it's barely a blip on the radar. They're doing books as a way of saying, "I've arrived. I'm a big person. I'm really important, right. and this book is proof that I'm important." Right? Which is it's validation it in the market. Exactly. It doesn't diminish the importance of the book. 
But th- I promise you, Michelle Fan did not become a good writer. She hired a really good right, ghost writer, right. and and she like just basically probably the book sucks to be honest. The quality of the book is irrelevant. Right. It's just that she got published by a big publisher, it's right? It's like having a TV show or being covered in TMZ. There are certain calling cards of celebrity and status that once you get big in a new small niche, you want to get those uh, sort of, and a lot of it is ego play. It doesn't really even help. So do you think book writing is a commodity at this point? Because it's, Uh, they're they're cheaper. You don't think so? Sort of. But they're cheaper. It it depends. It depends. It depends. It depends what you're doing and where. Because if you have the distribution, like Michelle, who, if you love her or hate her or whatever, she has an audience. They're gonna, she's gonna sell books. Doesn't her matter how gonna, good her book her is. Her fans are gonna buy her book because she wrote it. Yeah. She could shit in a box. Yeah, she really could. The Michelle fan book, and she's she gonna pee sell all over the book and send it to you in the mail, and everyone would buy it. No doubt. So for those people who have really intense, <laughs> dedicated audiences, book quality is is essentially a commodified pro a commodified process, and they don't really have to worry about quality at all. Really, nor should they, because most of their fans don't care. And the people outside of their audience aren't going to buy their book no matter how good it is because they're going to say, why would I buy a book by a YouTube celebrity? So a book is essentially a social object that they are giving to their fans and getting money back So from. it's really no different than a Facebook community or an Instagram community because those are all social objects that you're sharing. Yeah, I mean, it's just a physical social object, something that's, 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 uh, it can, you're, you're going to impart meaning on. Your fans are going to buy because they want to be closer to you or more connected to you or whatever. Um, the, I think the better thing for most YouTube stars to do is to do like sort of shorter movies, which is I know uh, 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 Max Benader and a couple guys are setting up a studio and doing this. Like the Fine Brothers manager, yeah, it's really smart. Is they're doing, but they're self financing. It's like the way they're doing it, doing it outside the Hollywood system, just releasing on iTunes, going straight to their fans. So it's like the P and L. Absolutely, it, it works amazing on um, uh, for them. That I, I mean, you can do a book in conjunction with that. That's fine. I, I like. If if you think well, who, if should, who, who should be writing books at this point, like who is a like because your company book in a box, right? Right. This is actually what I mean. We this do. is like a problem you guys are solving again. Right. It I'm, is. I, I'm, I have a very good segue. You know. It is. It is fantastic. At, I was about to do the segue and you you jumped. I, I beat you to it because I'd rather have myself enter the conversation. It's more natural. Right. This is like a fine tango routine that we're pulling right now, where we're like segueing <laughs> everything effortlessly. Right. Right, so my company just <laughs> takes people from idea to published, finished book in about 12 hours of time, of uh, their time. It takes us much longer, uh, but we do all the work. So someone like Michelle Fawn is actually a perfect example. Uh, she probably paid $7,500,000 to get a really good ghostwriter, and that's fine. Uh, she could afford to do that. But someone who, um, who wants a book, uh, let's say to promote their business or as, as a lead gen for their business or, the, or their consultant to charge more money and promote the consultants or as a speaker or their CEO or the, you know, a C-level executive they want to get promoted or any – there's a hundred reasons you can want a book, very valid ones, either the monetize or ego or both, right? Uh, if you have great ideas and you don't feel like you have the time or desire to go through the whole book process, we do all of it uh, for you. But – it's well, here's what's crazy. We're not ghostwriting. Ghostwriting, the person just writes the book essentially, and it's their ideas. And if you're lucky, you get a ghost, good ghostwriter. And if not, they suck. We actually take your ideas and your words and turn them into a book. And it's it's a pretty simple process. So you're like interviewing people. Essentially, right. We have our own process. We started off with just basic interviews, and we realize there's a lot. It's a lot more complicated. But what's we genius about that is people love talking about themselves. So they're well, they're, they're gonna like sign to up and just things are interesting. They get to orate. Yeah, what we're doing, we figured out essentially a really repeatable, templatizable process that um, allows people to take what they know and turn it into a really good book, an actual good book. So let's say you wanted to do a book about. Um, I mean, what, what are you writing your book about? It's now? called Stories from the Influencer Economy. It's a bunch of do-it-yourself creators coming from. Like emerging economies like podcasting, crowdfunding, YouTube. Right. So uh, like we're actually doing uh, two books that are very similar cool. to this. Not not in um, not in, in content, but in terms of style. So the, the, like, the, the, someone po- wants to make a point and they tell a bunch of stories. So the show. podcast is like R&D. Right, so, exactly. And I'm going to have content in the book that you can click on to hear the – like if, if you're in the book, right, and I quote yeah, you, right. you can uh-huh. hear the long-form click interview. Yeah. You're, you're almost doing our exact process. Uh, and, and so what we'll do is we'll, we'll get together with someone and we outline their book for them. So like, w- what's your book about? What do you want to say? And that's a two to four hour process, a few calls. 
And then we get a, a great outline. And once the outline's done, then we have professional interviewers like like Washington Post journalists and stuff that we hire freelance. They interview people through like through the outline, and they get all the ideas out of their head, all the knowledge out of their head. That trans we we convert the audio to transcription, uh, you know, like using a service, very simple. And then we have an editor who takes that audio transcription. And essentially, tr- like audio text translated, as you know, is not readable. Right. But right. they they take uh, that text. Um, right. Uh, um, uh, like corrupted all over the fucking. It's so funny when you edit podcast how much you realize people say like and stumble, and even these people that are like media figures that have been trained. And, even, and if you listen to the podcast, it seems lucid to you, and you totally get what they're saying, but you see it on the page, and they seem yeah. like a fucking. Weak. Yeah. Right. Sometimes hey, I, like I'm embarrassed for the guest, so I edit it out. But yeah. then you realize you don't even pick it up, even when yeah. you're listening to it. Well, when you're listening to it, you don't. When you read it, you do. Yeah, it's, you think people are retarded. It jumps out, That's yeah. why professional journalists, when they edit uh, audio interviews, have to change them a lot to right. make the person come off the way that they sound. Well, we hire those people, too, to turn, not just to make it seem like an interview, but to make it seem like a book. So they take the, their ideas, their words, their phrases, and then they just t- convert it from audio uh, manuscript to book prose. And it usually doesn't take very long at all. We're looking at three to four months of our time and about 12 hours of your time, and we get your idea into a book. Um, and we only charge like between 15 and 25,000, depending on, on, very, on how much stuff you want us to do and, and how it works out and how long the book is, et cetera, at, which is about a third of the price of ghostwriting. And actually, what we found is we get better quality uh, than most. It depends on the ghostwriting, but we get better quality. So than I, most. I hate the term disruption. The D word, but I will use it here because ghostwriting for like executives, people that don't have time to write books and like celebrities for lack of a better term, ghostwriting is a, it's a big business and publishers, yeah. don't they usually match you with a ghostwriter and then yeah. they, they essentially write the book? You know, I'm not sure how much. Yes, you're right. Uh, I'm not. We, we are working with some people who have publishing deals and they're using our pro- They're paying us 15 grand to write the book with them instead of... This is a nice FU to the publishing world because you're saying, look, dude, we can do this for a lot cheaper, more effectively, and are you going to self-publish these or try to get... No, we do all the publishing. So, like, for instance, if you you were working with us, you would pay us, let's say, 15 grand, and then at the end, we we, we do it. Like, we we put the book up on Amazon, iTunes, uh, it's up paperback uh, or hardcover and, uh, and iBook, and then you own all the rights... You own all the royalties. If it becomes a fucking Hollywood movie, you own it. Right. Like we're not, we're, we're not. You're not partnering with us, and we own the upside. No, 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 no. You're paying us a service, and you're getting your book. You don't do. When I say you, you spend twelve hours talking, and that's it. I, like I couldn't be more literal about it. Right. You talk to us for twelve hours, and that's all you do. Of course, if you want to spend more time editing the book yourself, you obviously have that option, et cetera, et cetera. You can spend a lot of time on it if you want. But uh, we found that, that most people want to just get their ideas out of their head and into a really good sort of form. And the book, you know, we have great, amazing book covers. We make sure the book looks super professional. Like you can't tell the difference between our books and um, anything that's published by Simon & Schuster or Random House. In fact, we use the same printers. Which, so like which the hard printers, which printers same, do you use? Like uh, Bang Printing in Minnesota. There's a couple of others uh, depending on which type of book we're doing and, and what run. Um, we use all the same printers. And so do you put that in the cost then? Like if it costs two thousand mm-hmm. bucks to you know. Print. Well, I, if you, like there's a certain amount that's included, and then above that, uh, obviously, you know, if if you if you sell a hundred thousand books, that's not included in our fee. But you do the fulfillment. No, no, uh, the printers do. Actually. But you, don't, we, you, but I have. We, to, I don't even worry about that. Like you're. Gonna, we we set it up so that it's automated. Like if I'm going like, to go speak at Vanderbilt University and I need a hundred books, you would send you would ship them on my behalf. So very low we can, friction. We can we can set all that up. It's super super simple. Did you guys take it, investment? Uh, no, we don't need to raise money. We've actually had a bunch of VCs come to us. I love that. That's, those are uh, the best uh, businesses. You know, and we're in this such this narrative right now where everyone wants to be like Zuck and everyone wants to get acquired by Google. It's such a false narrative because one out of ten startups really succeed. Yeah. You know. And, well, once you take here's the thing, man. I always tell. I've, I've invested in about 50 companies. I'm a big angel investor, and I, I mentor at some places. And I always tell guys, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to raise money, we want to raise money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, once you take the man's money, you've right. got to take his dick in your ass. You're answering to the man. You answer to the man. Oh, but we're only selling 20% of the company. I'm like, if you think that's it, if you think you don't answer <laughs> to a billion-dollar hedge right. fund after you take their money, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> 
And yes, so you're, like you're selling your part of your soul. Yes, whatever is your passion that keeps you up listen, at night. It can make a lot of sense, and there's yeah. a lot of people that it makes sense for. And you can pair up with great VCs or PE guys who are fantastic to work with. But that being said, it just means that it's a well lubed, uh, well gilded uh, dildo. But you're still taking <laughs> it, you're still taking it up the ass. What do you make call no your no mistake about it? <laughs> what do you call your business? Then are you tech? Do you call yourself a startup? Yeah, I mean, we are a startup. Like, uh, I mean, that's that's what we are. Uh, like, we may end up taking um, startup, uh, we venture capital at some point because I have a, an idea of how to expand this. Other like, verticals. Yeah, if all we do is is sort of high end concierge, expensive packages, then this is no more than probably a ten to twenty million dollar a year business, and we'll never take. It's not an investable business. We'll just it'll just kick off a lot of cash and it'll be fucking great. Like yeah. that's fantastic, right? But uh, if we can turn this into software as a service and then make it uh, expandable, create a two-sided marketplace and then make this process essentially usable for anyone at any price point, uh, then this becomes potentially – and expand to other verticals. It becomes potentially a billion-dollar business and we would have to raise money to bring that talent uh, on board uh, and to build – You know, a SaaS company is really hard. So what do you mean by software as a service for people that don't understand that? Okay. So for example, just start with the book process. Uh, so what we've done is we've created like we have very clear step-by-step -step templates for uh, sort of our project managers and freelancers. So it it seems like we're just kind of when you talk to us we're just working off the cuff and we're really smart. We're not. We have a very clear process. You have like Basecamp or something and, like that. Uh, well, yeah. Like we, well, of course we use Basecamp, but we, but we have like templates within Basecamp so that like every step is is sort of um, is outlined. So these are your own and, internal like proprietary internal proprietary sort of software. Steps. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And so it's not really software. It's just, it's more of a process, like okay. how to how to think. Of, what questions do you ask? How to structure the book? How to how to arrange material? Things like that. And and every client that we work on, we get the process better and better. And once we can, once the process becomes essentially fixed, where we know if you come in with this idea, we can spit this book out. Then we can turn that process into software as a service, right? So that means if you only have, let's say, a hundred bucks to spend, you don't have fifteen thousand or twenty-five thousand. You have a hundred dollars. Well, we can say, all right, for fifty bucks, you can go through our process, and then um, you're going to have to do all of the work. Right. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to buy transcriptions, and you're not going to be able to buy the book cover. You're going to have to do it. But we can literally take you step by step through each thing, so you don't have to figure anything out. Anything out. We're just telling you, here's what you have to do, and you do it, right? And then if someone, maybe they have a thousand bucks to spend, they can buy the book cover, and they can buy certain steps, so they can get help. So here I could be your, I could be your customer. Exactly, for a thousand bucks, you can be a customer because we're automating a lot of steps, right? Right now, we have to charge fifteen because we have really high talented people doing a lot of high touch work. But as long as we take the the talent out and replace it with automation, and then you do the work instead then we can charge you way, way less. So if you have a lot of money and no time, you want our high-touch concierge right. service. If you have a lot of time and little money, you can use software as a service, right? It's sort of, think of the what Uber did to black cars. Right. You know, it used to be only rich people could afford black cars. Now anyone can. Why? Because Uber as a platform created a two-sided market and connected empty right. space and cars to people who were looking for rides. So there's, a, That's what we're there's doing. a supply of people that are riders that want nice cars to take them around there's a supply side of drivers who can't find work. For the downtime. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So in a lot of ways, I hate saying Uber for X. I know, me too. So let's pretend like I didn't say disruption and you didn't say Uber for X. Right. right. Uh, but it, it, it's very – we are a process for book creation. And it is high touch right now, which makes it expensive. But uh, software can make it low touch, which can make it cheap. And if we can do that for books – then we could probably do it for a lot of other things, and then that becomes an investable are you, business. Are you talking about art, other art, like Dude, other mediums? I think films? I think everything, uh, movie scripts, uh, speeches, pitch decks, yeah. uh, painting. Go down the list. Yeah. I really think there is a process to do all of these, right. and quite often, getting to the end goal. Like I'm giving uh, a of, keynote of at TED, and I want a speech. Exactly. You know, exactly. I want PowerPoint. There's a, you can buy the book, How to Give a TED Speech. Right. It's still really confusing and hard. What if there was a software program you could pay 50 bucks to and it took you through all the work and then at certain points you could spend $100 and have someone, oh, okay, so 250 bucks, someone designs all my, my slides for me. That's amazing. And then to blah, 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 whatever. You spend $300 and it's all your ideas, your words, 
but the process gets gets them in the right order, right? Because he, look, here's what people don't understand. Um, there's this romanticized idea that the skills necessary to create a, a creative product are inherent to that product. That's wrong. Like a book and the, the finished product of a book and the act of writing a book are totally different things. Writing is a very distinct skill set, which is totally divorced from the purpose of a book, which is to convey ideas to people, right? And so writing is how you had to get books for a long time. You don't have to do it through writing anymore. We can now take auditory, verbal uh, sort of uh, content and turn it into books in a very effective way, which still makes a very high-quality book, right? It's not going to work for literary fiction, but it works really well for nonfiction. It sounds like, uh, like marketing executives, ad executives, people – like everyone says, I have a book in me. I have a screenplay in me. Like I, now in my world, it's like everyone I meet is like, I have a podcast I want to start. Like me and my buddies at work are really funny talking about right. football. Right. But it seems like executives have the income. They don't have Entrepreneurs, C-level execs, speakers, consultants, there's huge numbers of people who can monetize the book immediately, right? And then there's lots of people who just want books for any number of reasons. So what, you know? what, what are the main reasons you're seeing people that want books? Well, because we're so expensive right now, we get people who know that they can turn that book into something relatively tangible. So if someone who has a business and they want the book to promote their business, that makes a lot of sense. Someone who has a speaking career and if they have a book, they can charge more and get more gigs. Same with a consultant. Someone who so is – So it's really a calling card, a business card. It's a – because you get credibility like we are talking about earlier. There's authority. Some, it develops credibility and authority. There's no better way to develop credibility. Does it help even if you don't become a bestseller or if you don't – Oh, yeah. No one cares. Gives or if you're not like number one on Amazon for business. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. That, that shit really – for 99% of people, it doesn't matter. In fact, if you're a relatively unknown, having a book is it does. No one asks if it's a bestseller. Oh, he has a book, and yeah. like especially if it's prof- it's got to be professionally done though. If it looks stupid, then it actually so makes professional you- self publishing. Right. Sort of like wearing a really bad suit. You're better off wearing like sweatpants than a really bad suit. Uh, but a good suit makes you look amazing. Same thing is true. With I'm wearing books. sweatpants right now. Actually, you can't right. see. Right. Well, it's better than a bad. <laughs> suit. So. In the world of platforms, then, it doesn't matter if you have a platform built in. So you guys will do the diligence. Uh, I, yeah, no, like, well, it, you don't need a platform. Having, in fact, most... Because getting out- a publishing deal, you really need a platform at this point. To get a publishing deal with a mainstream publisher, you do, and to get in advance. And, and you do need a platform and a big platform with a big audience. Um, like Dr. Phil or Sheryl right, Sandberg. Right, right, exactly. Or, or anyone, anyone famous. Is it even worth doing uh, that now? No. I don't think so. I mean, if you are famous and have a platform, it's worth taking a big advance from a publisher because why? Like it's why free not? money. Why, why would you not take it, yeah. right? But if you don't have a big platform, I think it's a huge waste of time to deal with publishing. Uh, not only we do a better job actually with books than they do, and I know this for a fact. I have worked with multiple publishers. We do a much better job because they don't. Publishers have never been in the book business. They've only been in the book retail business. That's what people don't understand. That's why they don't control access to any of their customers after fucking 100 years. They're right. just realizing, oh, wow, it's really bad that we don't know who any of our fucking so customers are. you have a better email list and data set for your audience than they do. Exactly, exactly. And most people do. And for most people, you don't need... It doesn't matter how many copies of your book you sell. The fact that you have a book yeah. signals a lot of things that matter. Now, if you want to sell the book, then we actually also can help you build the platform and that kind of stuff. We're in the process of doing – because there's no reason we can't do book marketing in a box and platform building in a box, right? A lot of people do that. We're taking a much slower approach to that because we want to get that right. And right now, we're only doing that for authors who buy the book services that like they want to pay more, then it's like, okay, we'll help you build your platform on top of the book service, right? Not as an independent thing. Uh, because I think people who sell that as an independent thing, a lot of those are, they're kind of iffy and cheesy. And for the most part, I, I think for most people, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like as long as you have a decent landing page, as long as you control the top couple of uh, results on Google for your name, you know, your About Me page, your Facebook page, your Twitter page, your home page, your Amazon page, you're fine. You don't need a huge list uh, uh, unless you're selling something very specific or you're trying to generate recurring revenue or whatever. For most people, it's not hugely necessary. You can plug into other platforms pretty effectively. Building your own platform is a lot of work. It takes you. It, it, 
It only pays off for some people. I'm realizing with the podcast, I've done it for a year now. Like we peaked at number three in business over Christmas and Thanksgiving. And it's so launching a brand from scratch at this stage in the game. There's there's no better time to launch because there's distribution tools everywhere, but it's, it takes years. There's a lot more competition now. So it's what I tell people is if you want to make content your job, then you should, you have to have a platform. Uh, you have to build a platform, right? And you can use other people's platforms to help build yours, but you need your own as well, right? If you don't want to make content your job, if you just want a book to be a piece of sort of a larger marketing strategy, that's totally legit, right. and and then that and that's fine. Don't build a platform; just have sort of specific places people can look you up online, and that's it. Yeah, that's static. You I, know, I uh, so I'm writing a book about podcasting, ten thousand words, ebook. To your point, credibility. This guy's an author. Like, let's get him speaking at some event, right? right? It seems like you're right. There's not really like New York Times bestseller is so hard to even engineer. Like, and were you in the New York Times? It's really list? hard. Were you in the New York Times list for your three books? <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. I hope this are beer in hell. Spent five years on the New York. Oh Times. no way. Yeah. See, I'm the only. I'm, I'm not enamored by this there, uh, aura three, that you give off. <laughs> hold on. I, I, hold on. I'm not going to be humble in, in this description. I got to give you. I got to brag one more time. There are only three authors that have ever put three books on the non-fiction New York Times bestseller list at one time: me, Malcolm Gladwell, and Michael Lewis. So, like in terms of real lists, what do those real guys? Infos, what do those guys think of you? Uh, I don't know, actually. I, I don't know either one of them. My guess is they probably think I'm some cute little. Uh, uh, a frat boy, even though I wasn't in a frat, trying to like play at the writer game or something. I don't know. They they they're old guys who worry a lot about status from old institutions. Right. I don't worry about that shit. So uh, a few more questions would wrap up. But what books are you reading now? And like, what books have you read in the last year that you've liked? I just finished Turn the Ship Around, which was really fantastic by David. Uh, oh crap, I can't remember his name. He's a, a navy. Um, a Navy captain, ship captain, he was a submarine captain, and he, he's he his book is fantastic. Um, hard thing about hard things is fantastic. Uh, oh, horror- you like that book? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I feel um, like it felt like it wasn't really like it didn't resonate with me. I, I only well, made it. Why did you not like it? Well, so I, I made it through the chapter with his last company, the first company that he started with Mark Andreessen, right? That went public because they had to go. I forget which one. That Opsware. Opsware, yeah. I just. I, I, it felt like it wasn't personal enough. Like I, I think he went into like, really? well, he was like very transparent about his scare. Like, I just felt like you weren't getting his, you're getting his internal dialogue and like what he was going through, but it didn't resonate with me. I felt like maybe I'm just, I need, I'll give it another shot. But uh, I mean, dude, here's the thing. I don't I make it through a lot books. of books that I start, unfortunately. Yeah, dude, I start a lot of books, and I read them in bed, and then I'm tired after one chapter, and then the, I honestly I don't finish them. If they there start. was a, the first chapter on Tristan Walker. I felt like it was kind of random. He's, I read. I skip, well, that was the intro. I yeah, think. maybe I that maybe shit. that was my mistake. Wanna, all, intros are always terrible. I skipped that shit. Have you read Give and Take by Adam Grant? Uh, yeah, you know, like I didn't. I love Adam. Adam's like kind of a friend of mine. Yeah, uh, I, he's one of my book, early guests. He's I, I, awesome. I thought the I thought the book should have been five thousand words. Yeah, it should have been a magazine article. Like yeah. it's a it's a great idea, and there's great content. It just doesn't need to be a book. Most nonfiction books should be five to ten thousand words, which is funny because most of our book in a box books ends up. They end up about fifteen to twenty-five thousand words, which is what nonfiction books should so be. So you don't think the fifty thousand minimum or the eight? Like that's only if you're going to be in bookstores, and that's only because of sh- that's a physical shelf space nonsense issue. Most books should be under forty thousand words, really. Do you think you can get? Door. Can you get into books? Of, it just doesn't matter if you get into bookstores. It really no. doesn't. No. So no Why? one really, like, as a writer, should have an ambition to get into. If you're selling fiction, uh, especially genre fiction, it can help. Um, Bookstores. I mean, like most bookstores just don't matter anymore. Right. And, and if you if you care about the accoutrements of old media status, like New York Times bestseller list and like Pulitzer Prize and whatever, then bookstores are crucial. If you care, if you don't care about that shit, if you actually care about doing things that matter, yeah. bookstores don't matter anymore. What do you think of Amazon's new subscription or newish subscription service where you pay ten bucks for unlimited Kindle books and? Certain categories. Uh, I, I mean, that's the most. I think a lot of content's going to end up going to subscription because once you own a platform, you generate money. Off, I mean, that's what Netflix is showing. You generate money off subscription, and in fact, I think I could I could totally see 
uh, uh, Amazon moving to a Netflix model. Like, look, long term, um, a- Amazon's going to end up putting all the mainstream publishers out of business, and their their businesses are going to disarticulate. You're going to have printing is already disarticulated. Um, then you're going to have uh, sort of uh, private equity firms buy up their backlists, and then that'll just be sort of a like an annuity play. And then all the editors will spread everywhere and essentially set up boutique editorial shops. And then I think companies like mine, Book in a Box, are going to take the place. And they're, they're really inverted publishing companies. So instead of me buying your IP from you, now you pay me for professional services and you own your own IP. And then the book That's is smart. a way to get sort of attention for other things that monetize, sort of like bands are using music now. Right. That's the future. So you're not worried about IP? Like, no, you no, are, no, we don't own any you're, IP you're a service. at all. Owning IP is uh, a non-starter for media companies in the future unless you are the ones creating it, unless you also own the distribution platform like BuzzFeed, right? So we're not a distribution company. We are a services company, right? So you can either, it's like either you own, you, you, you own the services, right? You own the services aspect or the management aspect or you own the pipes that the shit goes on, right? And so like Google and BuzzFeed can be distribution and Amazon even can be distribution uh, and discovery platforms, right? Which is a different set of economics than management services companies, right? But owning IP uh, for high-end sort of, uh, for, for like high status, high-end creatives is going to be a non-starter in the future. Interesting. It won't go anywhere. So do you think I should even pitch publishers? Because I've had connections and agents. Like, uh, It depends what your goals for your book are, man. It really does. Yeah. It totally depends what your goals are. Um, it, like, I can't, there isn't a yes or no answer. There's only the right answer for what your goals are. Right. Like, we, we've had people come to us, a couple, uh, and we turned them down as clients because what they wanted, we could have signed them, but what they wanted didn't align with what we do. And it's like the last thing I want to do is take 20 grand from somebody and not give them what they want, Right. Um, so some people going to mainstream publishers still makes a lot of sense. I, it absolutely does. It just depends. Like if you care about old media status, if you have a really big name or really big sort of audience to sell your book into, uh, if you want or need a really big advance and you have a book that can get a big advance, there are certain reasons to go to them. But, uh, if you don't hit any of those reasons, I like so your model. I like the near IL model. Like, I think that's, you cut, quit content out, if it takes off, then you go for it. Yeah. And publishers will find you. Well, I, just, why do you even need to worry about publishers? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, my guess is so you, you're, you're doing a book, uh, a podcast. You're, you're trying to build your own expertise in a market so that you can sell your speaking, consulting, exactly. whatever services. Exactly. You're, then publisher is totally wrong. So I'm doing the big book, Influencer Economy, It'll come out in the fall. I'm doing mini books, uh, how-to YouTube guides, how-to, how-to podcasting guides, how-to self-publishing guides. Right. which you may be in, actually. I'll put you on the Mount Rushmore, perhaps. <laughs> um, but And that's like just ways to get my expertise, my knowledge base out there, right. give content out to people that follow me. That's right. it. I mean... Yeah, that makes total sense. And build your audience. If that That's your goal, is to be a content producer, to build your audience, to sell into... Uh, that's absolutely what you And then you jump off do. into consulting and getting bigger. Because like, revenue streams from books are... At this point, not minuscule. Really, right. I mean, they're small, they're fine, but they're, they're, that's not how you're really going to make any money. The books build your expertise. They show the they world. They do, actually. do, right. It's amazing, uh, right? Well, they don't build it. They, they display your expertise. But they Sorry. force you to think about it, and you assert yourself as an expert mm-hmm. just because right. you finished the book. And you can tell people you wrote a book. Whoa, that guy wrote a book? Oh, come sit next to me at this dinner yeah, party. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Especially if people know the book. Like, like that that's what I, I tell most of our clients is like, look, uh, like you need to this book needs to be good and like you need to give us everything you have and all your knowledge. Like we can't like we don't really do content editing. Like we do kind of offer a service where you, you gotta pay a lot more and we'll bring content people in and they'll help you. But like at that point you it, then it's just a total ego play, right? If you actually know what you're talking about, the best thing you can do is is do a great book really specific in your niche. Like our first client, uh her book just came out. She's like one of the world experts in pop-up retail, right? Which is like this tiny little niche. Very, very lucrative though, but really small. And her book has probably only sold 500, 1,000 copies, but the book has got her on a bunch of local media right. in New York. She is out the ass with consulting gigs from major retailers now because she's the expert on pop-up retail. How, how, How do you know she's the expert? She she wrote the book. This super professional, (laughs) amazing-looking book that she wrote 
that explains exactly what pop-up retail is and how to do it. And how many words was that book? 25,000, 30,000 words. Okay, 30, okay. Words. okay. Yeah. cool. And she had a lot to Dude, say. This is a great company. 30, words. You, guys could, yeah. you guys could even do documentaries. I feel like if I'm an executive at a company and I could pay you $10,000 to bring in a camera crew and make a mini video online for her, I don't know. That's a different skill set. We can definitely do the scripts. Like we could definitely come up with a process where, where people could write the scripts. Uh, but if someone doing the doc, that's a creative firm. So you, you, doing a doc is hard. You think that's more? You're hard. more. You're more writing content. Well, we're starting with books, and then yeah. we'll we'll see, man. I'm not sure creating templatizable processes uh, will work for other things. I think it will. I know it's working for books. I think it will work for other things. And and I'm not sure software as a service is going to work, man. Right. We're just gonna, we're going to test it. I I know this can be a seven to eight figure company based on the number of people who want books who have money and don't have time. So I know that's we're already making a bunch of money. So the question is, what other similar verticals can we get to? How big can this be? I don't know. We're going to test it and see. So as a CEO, are you taking a salary? Yeah, you mm -hmm. are. Okay. Yeah, but I, I I'm taking like nothing, like yeah. five a month, like. You're, uh, you're I get paid the, uh, the, we have a rule in our company, no C-level executives can make any more than the lowest paid, or uh, the highest paid non-C-level exec, right? So we actually only have, me and a co-founder, we only have one employee, so we make what he makes, actually. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I assume our company, look, I, I have equity in the company. It's a long so game. Obviously, it's a long yeah, game. Yeah, like, I, it's not like I'm not making money, like You're if we owner. make- Right. If we make a lot of profit, then I get a if, good piece of that if profit. Amazon knocks on your door and says, "Here's a hundred million dollars." Right. God then, willing, that would be amazing. Then, I would, I would invite them in and have a nice. Then chat. you'll buy all of Austin. <laughs> no, Austin's become more expensive. Although it's it's still pretty cheap, though. So uh, you've you've given us a very refined conversation with Book in the Box. Last, can we get one good story from uh, serve? They, hope they serve beer in hell. Like one good. <laughs> a story about what? Hooking up. For my for my buddies oh, from man. college, I know you're not in that mode. I think you just had a kid, so. Uh, yeah, no, I did. I'm married now with a kid. So you, do you yeah, go there anymore? Can can you go there? No, I'm married. I mean, I like. No, I, no, mentally like, with the story though, at the very least. Oh yeah, I mean, like of course, like it's not like I'm not allowed to think about women. <laughs> what's a I good, think, come on now? What's a good <laughs> story though for uh, just a closure, even a quick one? Uh, um. Christ, uh, I mean, it's did one I of stump those, you? Did I stump? Did I? You actually did. Yes. Here's what's funny. Like I don't think about that stuff. We anymore. talked about before the show about if I, I could get him, get him stumped. Uh, all right, I'll tell you a funny story because this just happened at a baby shower. Okay. But this is not a drinking hooking up story. This is just like something funny that happened. Like I went to this baby shower uh, for one of my wife's friends, and uh, and and this dude uh, was like, oh, like. You know, he like knew who I was and he was all excited. I read all your books in college or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, and then he's, you know, just on and on about drinking and hooking up and won't shut the fuck up. And then he's like, wow, you know, having a son, it's crazy. He had like three kids. And he's like, well, he got married way too early and had kids too early. And like, he has that energy where he still wants to go out and party, but he just didn't get it out of his system. Yeah. I got it all out of my system. So I'm like kind of bored with it now, right? All he wants to do is talk about his stories. I'm like, okay, that's great. And then he's like, well, I bet you, you're going to have crazy stories like, uh, you know, your next book could be called I Hope They Serve Diapers in Hell. And like, I just had enough with this dude and his stupid fucking shit. And I was like, actually, you know what I'm going to call my next book? I hope you eat shit and die at this baby shower, you fucking asshole. How about that? Do you like that? And like, he got all upset. And then like, dude, and by the way, don't tell abortion or dead baby jokes at baby showers because people get freaked out, freaked out dude. Like, right. if you say things like, what's, what's even harder than nailing a dead baby to a tree? Nailing a dead baby to a dead puppy? Like, even people who think those jokes are funny. They can't laugh. Freak out at baby showers. Can't laugh. So you yeah. have to clean up your... Right. Your... So, like, dude, that's why I don't write funny stories anymore. Uh, do you notice? I'm not funny anymore. No, you're really like, serious. No, dude. You're talking about like, sass. I'm not, it's not even that I'm serious. It's just like... I'm not sure my audience knows what sass is and you're just <laughs> spouting off, waxing poetic about it. I'm not funny anymore, dude. Like, I just don't... I don't think about or do those things anymore. And so all my... You know, if you don't exercise a muscle, it gets soft. My humorous fucking muscle is really soft, dude. Uh -huh. Especially about, like, drinking, hooking up stories. And there's not... There's not funny shit about kids. Like, I love them and they're yeah. great. But like when they spit up or when they you know Dude. tickle themselves, like that's not. It's funny. like Ray Romano and these bad sitcoms from the '90s covered that. It's the word. I mean, I love it. It's great. It's fun. It's awesome to experience. 
I'm not going to go on a podcast. Let me tell you stories about my kid. Yeah. No one gives a shit. No, it's like, I didn't want to bring like it up. fantasy football stories. Like, no one cares I didn't want to bring it about up. your bad beat, right? Yeah. Same shit, you know? Yeah, well, I'm going to invite you on the podcast again just to talk about stories you can't tell anymore because the muscle atrophy has started. All right, well, if you give me prep time, then I'll, like, sit down and think about it. I have to go read my fucking books again. <laughs> I haven't thought about them in, like, a decade. Amazing. Um, yeah, I'd have to think about it. Uh, then I could tell some some good ones off the cuff. Well, dude, well, thank you for coming on. Of course, well, man. It's my pleasure. We'll have to do this again. Hey, everyone. That was Tucker Max. He was a fantastic guest. Really funny. At the end, you may notice that I stumped him with a question. We had a joke at the beginning on the pre-call that if I could stump him, uh, he would be very surprised. So I asked him about a story from his old school days of I hope they serve beer in hell and obviously... He doesn't go back there as much as he used to. So uh, it was a really interesting guy to have on the show. Uh, he doesn't care what people think about him, which is refreshing. And he also just has succeeded so much. Like the guy's an angel investor on top of being a best-selling author. And you know his new company, Book in the Box, is obviously going places. So he's very, uh, very successful dude. Learned a lot just about my book publishing journey from him. And also just learning that you can't really get everyone to like you and it's not important to get you know, the first group of people to love you as long as you sell books or you sell your products. Just stay true to who you are. And uh, you know, His uh, whole genre of frat book writing was pioneering in a way. And I'm, I think with the book podcast uh, program that I'm building, there's a category of entertainment business. Someone has called it business-tainment, where essentially I'm writing about business in an entertaining way. And it hasn't been done as much before, at least in the levels of books that I've read. Most people are either academic or someone like Nir Eyal who's taken products and make it more accessible. I feel like I'm in that kind of genre. So if you want to learn more about authors in my space, the Nir Eyal episode, who uh, he wrote Hooked, uh, the best-selling book about how to sell ha- habit-forming products. That was a good one. So go back and I think I'm you know, f- defining a category of business writing uh, similar to Nir in his book writing process. So anyway, I have a lot of book news coming up. Also launching the new company soon, which I'm getting the website finalized for helping people build their platforms. So as always, love hearing from people. Ryan at InfluencerEconomy.com is the email. And find me at South by Southwest as well as in iTunes. Leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. And please subscribe. I want to thank everyone for listening. It means a lot that people keep emailing me and tweeting me and leaving reviews and just interacting. And nothing better than putting something out there to the world and getting feedback. Even when it's not good, it still is a great indicator that people actually are listening and taking the time to hear what you're saying and learning something. So this is a brand and a company that I'm building with people and hoping to involve as many of you out there. So heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. And follow me on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Mm-hmm.